Well, good morning. Gosh, every Sunday is kind of becoming a new lesson in a survival technique to get here, isn't it? My goodness gracious. I, I was a little shocked by the announcement that next Sunday's time change Sunday. Does that, that seem like I got faster here this year? But I, I guess that means spring will be here. We'll be poolside next Sunday afternoon. So uh, something to look forward to, right? Hey, listen, here's the concept. You are not only impacted by the person next to you, especially assuming you came to church today with the person next to you. But did you know that your life is also being affected by the person on the other side of the room? Your life is being affected. Your your physical, spiritual, emotional well-being is impacted by the person at the other service. On the other campus, your life is being affected by them. And by the way, you're the other person for somebody else, aren't you? You know, that is a spiritual truth. It is a biblical truth. It is a profound truth that I think is largely ignored, largely untaught, that the average believer, most of us in here, live almost no part of our day thinking that my life is having an impact on you, that my life is having an impact not only on another individual, but on the strength and well-being of this entire church. I think it's a very difficult truth for a Christian American to process because of what we value. In our culture, we value the individual so far above the whole that it's difficult for us to think that the individual's having an impact on the whole and is held accountable for that impact. But it is the truth. And that truth is kind of first introduced to us in the Bible in the Old Testament in a, in a very familiar story, a well-known story in Joshua chapter 7. That's the story where the Israelites march around Jericho and the, and the walls fall. Y'all know that story? That, that the Israelites are entering the promised land and, and as they enter, this is going to be the first city that they come upon and Jericho is a, is a big city. It's a well-fortified city. It's actually one of the oldest cities, not just in Israel, it's one of the oldest cities in the world in existence. And so they're coming up to this great city and God kind of tells them this plan and how this is going to work out and how they're going to defeat it. And then uh, uh, upon that promise that they're going to defeat Jericho, he goes to giving a set of instructions. He says, now when you, when you get there, you're going to win and then there's going to be this city in front of you. Now, everything in this city is going to fall under two lists. It's either going to be devoted to destruction or it's going to be devoted to the Lord. Everything, living and unliving, everything goes on these two lists. That's all an elaborate way of saying you don't get any of the loot from this city. (laughs) Nothing in this city is going to be yours. It really kind of falls out of the same principle we learned last week when the Lord said not only are we to give to honor him, but it's to be that first fruit giving. When we honor the Lord with our giving, it's the first thing we do with the paycheck, not the last thing we do with the paycheck. Well, in that mentality, what God is saying here is, as you go into the promised land, the first city, it's mine. After that, all those cities you get, that'll be your loot, but the first city is mine. And so that's what they were to do. Well, sure enough, they go into Israel, they march around, the walls fall, they win, and here's, here's all this stuff, and it's all going under devoted to destruction or devoted to the Lord. Now, while all that business is being taken care of, Joshua calls together some spies and says, hey, go get us ready for the next battle. 
Go spy out the city uh, of Ai. And, and so those spies run and go do that. And they come back with a report. And they said, Joshua, man, don't, don't trouble the whole nation for this. The whole nation was at Jericho. I mean, they're traveling as a group of a little over 2 million people. And so they arrive at Jericho with 2 million people. And so it's kind of in that context that these spies say, man, we don't need to move the whole nation to AI. This is, this is a little do-nothing town. Send, send two or 3,000 soldiers. Now, that, you realize how pitily that sounds? Two, over 2 million went to Jericho. Now he's saying, J- just send two or 3,000. Well, Joshua trusts his field commanders. They say two or 3,000, so that's what he sends. And it takes about two or three minutes for them to turn tail and run. AI defeats them. AI runs these two to 3,000 guys back to the, to the nation. 36 guys lose their lives in that. 36 Israelites. Well, man, the, the nation now is just, I mean, shockwaves going through. You, you remember 40 years earlier, they were afraid of going in because they were afraid they'd be defeated. And they ended up having to wander in the wilderness because they didn't trust the Lord for that. Now it's a new generation. Now they trust the Lord, a little bit scared, but God says this is our land. And so they go in, they're scared, but then they watch God. But now all of a sudden they're looking at a defeat. And so all that fear comes just rolling back over them. And Joshua goes in before the Lord. Man, he's just falling out in prayer. Hey, God, what, what was that? What are, you do, what are you doing? Where were you? What you said, you promised. And, and God, in a little bit of an unusual answer to prayer, I, he basically says, hey, Joshua, get up and get out. Because the problem's not in here with me. The problem's out there. There is sin. There's sin in the camp. Well, as we read the whole of Joshua 7, I'm going to shorten the story here a little bit. And that, that story unfolds. What we are introduced to is a guy by the name of Achan. Now, this is a nation that has experienced a loss. They've experienced this defeat. But the problem is, is one guy. There's this guy named Achan, and I guess if you just kind of imagine, you you, you know, there's people in charge, okay, this stuff goes on the list devoted to the Lord, this stuff goes on the list devoted destruction, and all this business is going on, and I guess if you imagine this big pile of loot, I mean, it's a whole city, right? And somewhere in there, there was a moment where nobody was around, and, and Aiken goes walking through, and he, he looks over at this pile of loot, and he sees a jacket that he thinks, man... Dang, I'd look fly in that. Whoo, man. He goes over and says, that's my color. That's my size. He puts it on. Says, this look good on me? Yes, I think it looks great on you. He's talking to himself, so it's kind of weird. And so he puts it on, and, and as he's grabbed that jacket, he looks down, and man, there's some, some silver coins are there. There's a gold bar there. So he grabs all this up runs back to his tent and it appears from the way the story folds out that his family knows this is going on and and he hides all this stuff well folks that sin that sin by one person is what made the entire nation unfaithful before God that, that sin by one man brought a defeat to the nation and remember that defeat wasn't just an embarrassment oh this little town ran us out of town no, that defeat resulted in 36 soldiers losing their lives. That's, let I me mean, keep that real, folks. That's 36 homes that a father, a, a husband did not come home from that battle. And I think when we look at this principle, one man affected a nation like that for maybe something we wouldn't even consider that big. One man, that doing that led to 36 lives being lost. 
I think when we look at this principle, I don't think we question Achan or, or the nation of Israel. I mean, don't we a little bit question God here? And that doesn't seem fair. That, that doesn't make sense. Do you know why? Because we don't understand the law. We don't understand the principle. Just like there's a law of gravity that says you're going to stick to the planet. Okay, there's a law here of how the body works and the individual impacts the whole. And, and, and whether we get that or not like that or not, bad news is that principle, that law gets tightened up even more as we enter the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they're trying to figure out how an individual impacts a nation. But God doesn't describe us as much as a nation as he does an actual body. We're, we're that connected, all the pieces inside and out. We're that connected to one another and every piece affects the other. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffers, one member's hurting, one member's out of sort, man, it affects the whole body. Likewise, when one member's honored, when one member's doing well, when, when one member's on top of the world, hey, the whole body wins for that. Now, you are the body of Christ, singular. We kind of need to understand that two ways. Singular, we're the body of Christ, the church universal, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are put into the church universal. That's all believers everywhere. Almost never in this service, by the way, when I use the word church, am I referring to the, the roof over our heads or the sign out front or the address? It's, it's a body of people. And, and so when we become a believer, we are part of the church universal, capital C, the church all over the world. But that is that truth that we're a part of the church is lived out. It is practiced in a small C in a local church. We are all members of it, individually members of it. We're all connected to this body. And so the idea here is, I mean, you, you know, you've got this, this body here and it's got all these parts. We got parts we hide, parts we show, big parts, little parts, parts we can see, parts we can't see, parts that seem very, very important, parts not, not so important. I mean, what does an appendix do anyway? Do we know? It seems like you can jerk it out and it makes no difference. But that, that's when God says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Yeah, there might be some physical truth to that, that this part doesn't seem as important to this part, but not in, the, not in what I'm talking about. Every part counts. Every part is important. It all makes a difference in the body. So imagine it like this. There's an individual. There's me. There's Randy. And I'm, I, I'm growing in the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm, I'm strong in the Lord. And so God would then say that the Heights Baptist... This entire structure, this entire church is stronger because I'm strong in the Lord, obedient to the Lord and growing the Lord. And, and of course, the opposite is also true. If, if I'm not growing in the Lord, if I'm disobedient to the Lord, if I'm weak in the Lord, then this church is weaker and I'm held accountable for it. By the way, if you go back and read all of Joshua 7, Achan was held accountable for the loss that the nation experienced. He was held accountable, as was his whole family, for the loss of those 36 lives. And I am held accountable when I make this church weaker. And by the way, I'm not just saying that as me, Randy the pastor. Oh yeah, obviously you make it. No, me, the individual member. Not a bit different. No more chance for impact or less chance for impact than you, the member, who comes every single week and is serving? Or you, the member, who comes once uh, every, what, eight, nine weeks? 
You're, you're having an impact. And by the way, this is not a, an attendance situation. There's people here every week who could quite possibly be making us a weaker church. So it's not just the physical presence of being here, although that is obviously important. We have an impact on the whole. And that's very difficult to see. We have a hard time seeing this because we, we can't see it. That's pretty profound. You should write that down. We have a hard time seeing this because we can't see it. See, if I, if I know this truth, if I know this principle and then I'm watching Israel, okay, there's Achan, he sins, that's a clear objective sin, I see what he's doing wrong, and then, okay, there's the nation, there's the loss they experience. See, I can see that and I can measure that. But let's be honest, you and I really... We really can't measure, we really can't see, oh, this is the impact that an individual has that strengthens or weakens this church. It's hard for us to measure that. My guess is most in this room feel like what you're doing has little to no impact on this church. You're not making a negative statement about yourself. You're not making a positive statement. It's just, I'm not, this, this place isn't, nothing's happening here because of what I'm doing or not doing. While that might seem really logical, there's not an ounce of spiritual truth to it. That's the exact thing that God is trying to say. No, not, not the case. You, you know, folks, our tendency would be to look around at a, at a place like this and say, okay, this is, a, this is a, a pretty strong, it appears to be a pretty strong, healthy, growing church. Do you realize that most churches in America, if not all, and I, I, I don't know about around the world, I would assume on some level this is true around the world, we've accepted being unhealthy. We've made a lack of health and strength the norm. And, and so we can look around here and say, hey, this is a pretty strong, healthy, growing church. But, but, but how would we measure that? What, what would God say to that? You know, we have, um, we have 5,000 members, give or take a few. I don't know whether to give a few or take a few. It's, it's right around that number. I didn't check and see. But 5,000 members, you look in our bulletin, you see our, our attendance each week. On a low week, we have about 2,000. Might be a little lower today. And, and on a good week, we might have 25. I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a little over 2,600. You know, our average, our, our average last year anyway was, was 2,380. That, that was our average for the whole year. So if you take our average, we're not even 50% of our total membership. And do you know what concern that causes? None. <laughs> not a bit. That, that, doesn't affect us. Doesn't seem to affect any church that we're only running about 40%. Now don't think of the number. Think of the percentage. I mean, folks, can we imagine if, if 5,000 people, we're not just here sitting in the building once a week, but if 5,000 people, 100%, that's the more important figure, if 100% of us were here worshiping in spirit and truth each and every Sunday, can, can you imagine if 5,000 of us, 100% were opening God's word, reading God's word, growing in God's word, obeying God's word? Can you imagine if, if 100% of us were looking for opportunity and taking opportunity to share the gospel? Can you imagine if 5,000 of us were giving the tithe, giving 10% of our income? Can you imagine if 5,000 of us, 100% were looking for ways and engaging in ways to serve, whether that be inside the walls of the church on times like Sunday and Wednesday or outside the walls of the church when we, when we go out into our community, into our world, 100%. Can you imagine if 100% of us 
didn't just treat this as a, maybe a, a decent enough place to come and hang out for a week with a bunch of other people that are there. But we actually believe that God brought us together to engage in relationship. To, to be responsible to one another, to pray with one another, to minister together, to, to grow together, to live life in community, to live life together. Can you imagine any of that? Let me answer the question for you. No, you cannot. You and I cannot even comprehend these questions that I've just asked because it, it doesn't exist anywhere for us to see it. We, we've never seen the church operating at 100%. But folks, I believe that if that was happening, if all 5,000, and again, the number is not as important because it's just as true for a church of 150. If 100% of us were operating, I believe we would be an unstoppable army impacting our community, our world for Christ. So let me, let me say this a little differently. If we were the only church in the United States of America. This is it. Nowhere else from California to Virginia. There's one church in the United States. In Colonial Heights, Virginia. They call it the Heights Baptist. If we're the only church. That line is still true. It's a big, big nation, right? That's a little bit of a grandiose statement. Really, is it? You know, the first church. I guess the first church started with 11 guys in, a, in an upper room, didn't it? And they saw the resurrection of Christ. 100% of them were in operation. And in their lifetime, in their generation, they impacted a nation and they ended up impacting an entire Roman Empire. That 11, very quickly, there are probably a few more there. That 11 immediately became 120. That 120 immediately became 5,000. And in their lifetime, they impacted the Roman Empire. And they didn't do it because they had freedom to worship. And they didn't do it because they had more resources than they knew what to do with. In most cases, those people were run out of town. In most cases, those people were arrested. In some cases, they were killed. And yet they impacted. They became an unstoppable army. Now, folks, you look at that line right there. Because I'm going to tell you something. Right here, right now, your life. The, what, what's going on in your life today? Man, you have financial issues, a budget. You got problem here, a problem with this, at work. All these things going on in your life right now. And I want to tell you something. Right now, your life is being impacted by this statement. Right now, God is blessing and guiding and honoring in your life because you understand this. You understand the role your life plays in connection with this and you're living in light of it. Or what did we say last week is the absence of blessing, the absence of his presence and his honor. It's, it's curse. Or I'm living in ignorance of this. I'm living in negligence of this. I'm living in disobedience to this. And so I'm experiencing the consequences throughout my life. Because God holds me accountable when I affect the entire body. That's a, that's a principle. That is a spiritual truth that is an operation for every single one of us. And that's just the introduction to my sermon. Now I'm getting started. <laughs> Okay, good news, part one. Well, I don't usually do that, but next week is part two. This is a part one sermon. Next week will be part two. We, we are continuing our series. As a matter of fact, today, part two next week, we'll end the series. And I put these two at the end because I, 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 I don't want to say there's one way of honoring that's more important than all others. But I made this two parts. I put this at the end because folks, when you and I are evaluating our lives and what we wish was better and what we wish was different, what I feel like we're looking at right now is almost something we would never evaluate. 
we would almost never evaluate our strength, our health, our well-being, our life, where we're going, what we're accomplishing. We would almost never evaluate what's my relationship with the church and what role is that being played out there. We, we are looking at, we're still in our series on honor. The Lord's given us this tremendous promise. Honor me and I'll honor you. Show the weight, show the value, show the significance of me in your life and I will give your life weight, significance and value. And we've seen that means honoring what the Lord tells us to honor. We're, we're honoring life. That means people, they're not always honorable. They don't always deserve it, but that's what God's people do. We give honor to people, we give value, we honor people, we honor authority, we honor marriage, we honor the family structure. That's what God said to do. We've also seen that honoring him means that, that we honor him in the ways that he says to honor him. That means we honor him with our, we looked at our decisions, we honor him with our body. I think one of my favorite ones, we honor him with whatever. How awesome it is an opportunity that to engage God in this promise, with whatever. My most menial daily task to the big things that kind of define and direct my life. Everything in my life can be used to serve the Lord. We said, man, with that one, the, the believer ought to be able to do anything and everything with a smile, ought to be able to do anything and everything with energy and with a commitment to excellence because we're always serving him and he's always worthy of it. And then last week we finished by going through and saying, hey, we honor the Lord with our finances. And, and so when we honor the Lord in all these ways, then we engage him in that promise and we get to see him not only honor our life but if I'm using my marriage to honor him then he honors that marriage if I'm using my singleness to honor him then he honors that single life if I'm using my finances what well, we saw that last week he's not calling us to give so he can empty our account and see if we still love him no he calls us to honor him with our finances so he can bless our finances read Malachi 310 that's what that's what God wants to do and, and we would get that, yes, I need God to do something in my finances, in my marriage, in my job, and we'd be, but we'd ever say, you know what, I need something different in my life. I need to honor the church. Folks, God calls us to honor the church, and that means understanding this relationship, understanding, hey, I'm having an impact on this place, and I'm going to be blessed because of the impact I'm having on this place, or I'm going to be held accountable for the impact that I have on this place. Whether I understand it, whether I see it, whether I believe it, it is the truth. You know, there's, a, there's another promise in the Old Testament very similar to this one we've been looking at all year, honor the Lord and he'll honor you. It sounds almost identical to it. It's Psalm 37, four. It says, delight in the Lord. It's a little bit different way of saying honor, just a little bit more fun, isn't it? You say the word delight, you don't you just get a little smile? Y'all smile, come on, delight, right? When, you, when you're delighting in something, what are you doing? You're getting excited about it. When you delight, that puts a little spring in your step. There's a little bit of excitement there. It puts a smile on your face. Delight in the Lord. And look what this is being offered here. He'll give you what? The desires of my heart. And that sounds even more specific, even more personal than honor the Lord and he'll honor you. God says, hey, listen, you got some desires on your heart? Let me tell you something. I, I want to do that. I want to meet the desires of your heart. But for that to be right, for that to be good, for that to be appropriate, what I'm giving you, you have to first design your heart and life so that you're delighting in me. And that means we delight in his word. We delight in his presence. We delight in who he is. We get excited about what he's done. It means we delight in what he delights in. What does God delight in? Well, we could do a study of scripture and go through and look at a variety of things that God appears to get excited about. 
uh, in a variety of things that God puts a little spring in God's step. But folks, one thing that God delights in is his church. Look at this passage up here, Ephesians 5.25. Now, when we read this passage, normally we're thinking of marriage, aren't we? And for pretty good reason. It's a marital directive. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, man, Lord, I want to do that. What, what's that look like? What's that mean? What, 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 what are you telling me to do there? And, and God says, well, here, here's a picture. Look at this. And he points to Christ and his church. In the same way you look at that relationship between Christ and his church, that's what's supposed to happen in this loving, this passionate, this intimate relationship. Now folks, while the focus here is on husbands and wives, look at the comparison being made. Folks, Christ loves his bride. Christ is passionate about his pride. Christ delights in the church. You cannot honor God and not honor the church. You cannot love God and not love his church. You know, there's a very common, it's at least right now in America, there's a very common thought that, well, yes, you can. Of course you can. That's silly to say you can't separate the two. How easy is it to say, man, I love Christ, I respect Christ. I ain't want nothing to do with his church. I hate the church. And to be honest with you, folks, I kind of get it. I kind of get what some people might be saying. You know, when I look at Christ, I look at his teachings and they're so inspiring and there's so much wisdom in them. But then you look at what church does and it's just so boring and irrelevant. Gosh, I look at Christ and he's so kind and and he's so gentle. But the church, man, they're, they're mean. They're mean to each other. You know, I look at Christ and he's so accepting. Ah, but the church, they're so judgmental. You see how it it almost makes sense to see why people would say there's this difference, there's this chasm between Christ and his church. Might sound logical, might sound reasonable, but it's just not true. He just loves that church too much. Now we might debate and discuss, okay, why does the world, why do other church members see mean, judgmental, irrelevant? That's another issue. I'm just saying we in the church, we can't separate the two. You, you know, folks, you can, you could come up to me and say, man, Randy, I, I just want you to know, I was praying about you this morning. I just love you. I just think you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'm certainly confident many of you would feel that way. And you say, Lord, I'm just grateful that I, that I get to know him. He's my pastor and, and, and he's my friend. I just want you to know, Randy, I really consider you a great friend. And you know, I mean, you're going to say, no, I'm going to go, oh, you know, shucks, you know, and I'll be real blessed and everything. But then if you follow that up by saying, but I'll tell you something. I hate your wife. My goodness, what were you thinking there? Yeah. What can I do with that? I, I can't process that. You know what? Let's just pretend, and it would be obviously purely pretending. Let's just say you really have a concrete reason that you don't like my wife. Say, I don't, I don't like her. Here's why. There's a very real reason I don't like your wife. Okay, that might be true, but, but if you're going to go on with this feeling and emotion of I don't like your wife, I hate your wife, guess what? We're not going to be buddies. It's just not possible. I have way too much invested in her. Way too much of my life is connected to her for me to then turn around and have a good and right relationship with somebody that hates her. That's my wife. (laughs) She'd have been at the other two services if she knew I was going to say this today. (laughs) Folks, do you realize that everything I just said with Randy and Karen 
Take out Randy, put Jesus. Take out Karen, put the church. You know what? You may have a real objective reason you don't like that church. You, you might have a real concrete objective reason that, that the church failed you. But Jesus, you can't hate my church. I've invested everything I am in her. She is my love. She is my passion. She is my delight. You can't hate my church. If you're going to honor the Lord, if you're going to delight in the Lord, you're going to honor his church, you're going to delight in his church. Now, how do we do that? And that's what we're going, to, we're going to talk about next week. How do we honor the church? You know, there's a variety of ways you could go with that. You could say, well, you know, matter of fact, I've preached a sermon here a couple of times. I don't have many that I recycle through, but, but I, a couple that I do. And one is, you remember the sermon, One Anothering? I hope so, because I've preached it three times. Yeah, there's over 30 commands in the New Testament over 30 commands in the New Testament that are on your life about what you're to be for another person in this room. Actually, all of the other people in this room. Are those 30 commands guiding and directing your life? So, oh, I, I didn't know. Hey, little, little warning here. You'll never have the opportunity to stand before God and say, I didn't know. That'll be a very short conversation. Because all God's gonna say is, I, you had my Bible. <laughs> to which we'll say, well, I never read. See, I can't complete that sentence, can I? 30 commands are to be guiding and shaping your relationship with people in this room that you're going to be held accountable for. That obviously could be one way we look at, am I honoring the church? Well, look at, let's look at what God has said about how we're to relate with one another. But, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to go that way. You know, another way we could, we could look at how we honor the church is just how we talk about the church. You know, when we were talking about marriage a couple of weeks ago, remember said, if we're honoring marriage, we can't talk negatively about it. Now here again, kind of like we've been talking about, there might be a problem in your marriage. There might be a problem with your mate. Do you remember what I said about that a couple of weeks ago? You still can't talk negatively about it. First of all, that never fixed anything. Not once in the history of marriage and humanity, talking negatively out there about your marriage doesn't fix it. Honoring your marriage at least opens the door at least gives an opportunity. Now, I did say, if there's a problem there, there's a precious few that you might can talk with about that problem. I would never say more than one or two friends. And they need to, remember what I said? They need to be stronger than you in the Lord. They need to be people you're pretty sure are gonna guide you to his word and guide you to prayer. Maybe a pastor, maybe a counselor. But we just don't talk negatively about our marriage because God commanded us, honor the marriage. Okay, same is true about the church. Huh. You know, they might have done something wrong. Somebody in there might have wronged you. There might be a real problem. But talking negatively is not going to solve it. It's not going to fix it. Folks, how much of the church leaves church every Sunday, heads out into America, and tells the world out there why not to like the church? You say, well, gosh, I would assume almost nobody does that. No, I would assume almost everybody does that. You say, what are, you, what are you talking about? That sounds crazy. Well, think about it. It looks like this. About Tuesday, we sit down in the, in the chair of our hairdresser. Or we're standing by the coffee pot with a friend at work. Or we're poolside like we're going to be next week since it's time change and spring will be here. And we're sitting by the pool talking to a friend. And the conversation starts like this. Well, you're not going to believe what they did up there Sunday. You're not going to believe what that pastor is doing now. 
you're not going to believe what they said to me in class. And we go on to tell a story about how bad, how dumb, how mean, how whatever. Folks, do you realize there's people out there in the world that don't like either capital C, the church, or little c, our church, because of what we told them? That's crazy! How in the world are we honoring the church if we help the world hate the church? Can't do it. Can't do it. No, we got to talk right about the church. But that's not what I'm going to discuss next week either. I'm not going to talk about that. Although I, I guess I just did, didn't I? Okay, well, that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to come back next Sunday. We're going to look at a real simple card. Gonna open up like this tears off. You'll understand why next Sunday. Called a personal plan for honoring his church. We're going to look at six things next Sunday. Six very concrete ideas. Six very concrete activities. Disciplines that you can put in your life that will put you in a place where your life is strengthening his church. Where your life is adding to his church. Capital C church, little c, the Heights Baptist Church. And you position your life for him to honor you. You position your life for him to give you the desires of your heart. But the funny thing is, I feel like what an opportunity, even if there's not a promise. What an opportunity to honor what God has given us. Now, you might hear that and think, now, now wait a minute. So I'm going to come back next week and you're going to tell me six things you need me to do? <laughs> that sounds kind of self-serving, doesn't it? Well, no, actually, I'm not. These aren't six things you're going to do for me. We're not handing out a sign-up list. We need somebody to go do this. No, that, that's, that's, not what, that's not what this is going to be. But, but is that, do, do I come back just because I want to hear six things the guy up there wants me to do? Think about it this way. Do you have some desires in your heart right now? Would you like God to touch those desires? To work in those desires? To fulfill those desires? The only avenue for that happening is you delighting in what he delights in. We're going to talk about six ways to delight in his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And uh, Lord, I do believe a, a lot of us in here want to say thank you, not only for the capital C church, but the little C. We're, we're grateful for our local church. We're grateful for the Heights Baptist. What, what goes on here, what we get to be a part of, the, the experiences we've had with you, uh, Lord, the, the things we've been able to, to, to go out and minister inside the church, outside the church. Lord, we're grateful for this place. Thank you for, for giving that to us. And Lord, in our gratitude, we want to be faithful with this gift you've given us. We, we want to do the right thing with it. We want to relate rightly, act rightly, respond rightly with this incredible gift you've given in the church. Lord, I would pray for each of us this week that this thought would rattle around in our soul, rattle around in our brain. I'm having an impact on that place. Lord, I pray we can't get away from that. Whatever we're doing this week, having a great week, having a bad week, we can't get away from the thought, my life is having an impact on the Heights Baptist. And as we, as we kind of just think on that thought, Lord, help us to evaluate what that impact is. If, if it's positive, if it's negative, if it's, a, if it's a liability or if it's an asset. 
And God, I thank you that as we evaluate, we get to do that in your grace. We get to evaluate that in your grace, in your patience. And I pray that as we evaluate it, Lord, you would guide us into what steps we need to take. Wherever we are on that spectrum, what steps we need to be take so we can be found faithful with this gift that you've given. I pray we come back here with an excitement next week, with, with an anticipation next week, even an hour of sleep down to learn some very specific concrete ways that we can be all about delighting in your bride, loving what you love. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.